The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Well, hey, ever since I can uh, <clears throat> remember, I've always loved to, to build things, okay? Um, whether that was Lincoln Logs when I was really, really little, uh, or Legos. Eventually, I got old enough and was entrusted with my dad's old erector set, which came with motors, so that was cool. Um, I loved building snow forts. Um, I, we had this game called Mousetrap, which was kind of fun to build stuff with. In my teen years, I built car stereo systems, okay? And then into adulthood, um, I built circuit boards as an engineer. I built a basement in, in, in my house. I love to, to build things. And, and listen, it's, it's not just me. Uh, we love to build things, uh, we love big stadiums, like you know, like Garth Brooks can play in. We, we love to build big stadiums and big buildings and monuments and Mount Rushmore. We, we, if you've driven downtown lately, there's all kinds of condos and building projects uh, going on down there. We love to build things. We have entire shows about it, and we instill it in our kids. Bob the Builder, you know, Lego Masters, uh, Tiny House Builders. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that we love uh, to build. We love to build things, and we're always finding something new to build. You know, if you just go online and you look for all these new toys that, that kids, there's magnetiles, you know, there's connects, there's, there's all sorts of uh, bristle blocks, and, and you can build it with anything, right? We love to build things. We're always finding something new to build because we're builders. We're all builders. The question this morning for you is, what are you building? Uh, for some of you, it's your career. It's, uh, maybe it's retirement. Um, parents, you're building your family. Uh, some of you are in the trades, you're, you're building kitchens, you're, you're building decks, you're building electrical systems in, in houses or buildings. Others of you, you build code. You, you know, you, you, maybe you build roads, uh, teachers, administrators, you're building students, managers, you're building teams. All of us, we build relationships, okay? We, we build, when you really think about it, we build culture. Uh, we're all contributors to culture. None of us are, are mere recipients, whether that's the culture of a church or the, the wider culture that we live in. Whoever you are, wherever you are, you're a builder. What are you building? Uh, what the Old Testament book of Haggai has to show us this morning is that, number one, what you are building matters. What you're building matters. Number two, what God is building matters. Number three, why you are building matters. Okay, the reason that you're building something, anything, your motivation, what's driving you to build, what it is that you're building, that matters. And, and number four, what God is building, what he's building, matters. Now, Haggai was a, a prophet around the year 520 B.C. We're going to look at the entire text of Haggai this morning. And so if you don't have a Bible open, get it open to page 791 in those pew Bibles to the book of Haggai. Haggai was a prophet in the year 520 B.C. And just to kind of catch you up on a little bit of the history that's going on in the scriptures at this time, in 586 B.C., about 65 years before Haggai, okay, 586 B.C., Jerusalem, right, was attacked and destroyed by the Babylonians. God's people were, were hauled off into exile. And then in 539 B.C., Cyrus of Persia won a major battle over the Babylonians. Persia is now becoming the major powerhouse of the day. And in 538 B.C., Cyrus issued a decree allowing the Jewish people to return to their homeland to rebuild the temple. You can read about that in Ezra chapter 1. 
And something like 50,000 Jews at that time returned under the leadership of Zerubbabel, who was like the governor, and and also Joshua, who was this high priest. And they started to rebuild. They, they, They built the altar, and they offered sacrifices. They laid the foundation for the temple. But then for reasons that you can read about in Ezra sometime, resistance from surrounding peoples, economic struggles, and so on, rebuilding ceased. It ceased. Like things stalled out. All right, for almost two decades until the year 520 BC, which is when Haggai prophesied. And the dating, listen, the the dating for the book of Haggai and his prophecy is very precise. Chapter 1, verse 1 tells us that he prophesied in the second year of Darius, the king of Persia. You can read about Darius on Wikipedia, okay? This is a real historical figure because it's biblical history, which is real history. This all really happened. You can go look it up. And it's in this moment of history that God raises up Haggai to confront God's people who have returned from the exile. He's confronting them about what they're building because what they're building matters. Look at Haggai chapter 1 beginning in verse 2. Sarah just read this. I want to read it again. I want us to kind of get our heads into this this morning. Chapter 1 verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does not put them into a bag or puts them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins. While each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought in the land and the hills. On the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast, and all their labors. Now look what's going on here. God's people had returned from exile. God has brought them back into the promised land as his people. They're supposed to be rebuilding the temple, but they're not. They had started, but then stopped, and now they've neglected the work for almost two decades. They're saying, you know, we'll get to that later. And God confronts them about it. They become over-focused on their own houses and neglected the house of the Lord. That's what verse 9 says. And not just in a, in a meager way. Verse 4 says it, it talks of their paneled houses. They got, you know, finished details going on here, right? These are the marble floors and the bamboo, or the, the marble countertops and the bamboo floors and the Spanish tiles of their day, right? And God says to them, consider your ways. Consider your ways. This is God's way of saying, hey, How's all this working out for you? Verse 6, it says, You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Verse 10, Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. 
And I have called for a drought on the land and on the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. Now, something you have to understand is that under the Mosaic Covenant, God had promised to bless the obedience of his people with agricultural abundance. But he also warned that disobedience would receive his punishment in the form of droughts and famine and small harvests. And God is saying to them, look around. Look around you. Look what's going on. This was to be a key to them to recognize their disobedience, their their unfaithfulness, their, their lack of devotion to God. He's using all of these things, right, to get their attention. Consider your ways, God says. He's, he's calling them out. And miraculously, and, and quite honestly, refreshingly, if you've been reading the Minor Prophets, um, in, in the midst of, of all of this, they, they heed the word of the prophet and they repent. Look at verse 12. It says, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. On the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year, of Darius the king. Look at them. They, they heard the rebuke and they turned. <laughs> they, 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 they turned from their disobedience instead of continuing to walk in disobedience. They, 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 oh, they, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord had sent him. But they, they, didn't, say, they, they didn't say, well, there goes Haggai again. <laughs> on one of his authoritarian power trips. <laughs> they, they, they didn't say, hey, goodness, Haggai, boy, you're really laying on the guilt here. You know? could, you, could you stop shaming us a little bit? We're busy. No, they heard God speak to them through Haggai the prophet, whom he had sent, who God had sent, whom he had put in a place of godly spiritual authority in their life, and they obeyed, not Haggai. They obeyed the Lord. That's why verse 12 says, the people feared the Lord. Haggai's just the messenger. And what's going on here is between God and, and his people. And these people, they heard the Lord through the messenger of the Lord, and they feared the Lord, and they repented. <laughs> After which God says to them in a beautiful word of assurance on this side of repentance, he, he says to them, I am with you. It's a beautiful, beautiful word of assurance for God's repentant people. I am with you. And God stirs them up. He stirs them up. Haggai wasn't the motivator here. You know, he's just the messenger. They're not dependent on Haggai being some perfect leader or a great motivational speaker. You know, God does the work in them, and as they repent, they got back to work. 
Now, when you think about building the temple, right, there was a lot of work to do. Back in Haggai's, a lot of work. And it took all of them with all kinds of different gifts and skills and and abilities. It was a massive project. They were going to need wood. They were going to need stones. Okay, they needed people to to run saws, people to cut the stones. They needed craftsmen. They needed carpenters, finished carpenters. They they needed needed people to feed these crews, you know, to ensure that they kept well hydrated and, and all of it. It took all of them. And so God stirred up all of them. Verse 14, he stirred up the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And and they, still the all, they all came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. They all did. Now, stand back for a second and look what's going on here, right? God is saying to his people, (laughs) what you are building matters. God's people had been returned to the land in order that they could rebuild the temple, the, the, the place where heaven and earth meet, the place of worship. In fact, back then, without the temple, uh, worship was really stilted, wasn't it? This is important. God is saying to his people through his prophet, do the thing that I sent you to do. The whole reason they're there is to rebuild but instead they were neglecting the very thing that God had sent them to do. Now, does that mean that they shouldn't have built their own houses? No, it doesn't. What God seems to be rebuking his people, though, is an overfocus on what they wanted to build and a grave underfocus on what he actually sent them to build. They were distracted from the primary task at hand. What they are building matters. Now, how does that apply to us? Well, you might be thinking, oh boy, here it comes. Another update on the building project, you know? Um, you're going to tighten the screws. You're going to use Haggai, tighten the screws. Um, now, I do think there's some application for that here, uh, but I also think it's a little bit off point. Um, see, the, the temple in, in God's Old Testament day was the very center of worship, wasn't it? The, the, the temple was. But if we think about this from a New Testament perspective, where is the center of worship now? It's not this building that we're buying. It's Jesus. In John chapter 2, Jesus, he, you know, he cleanses the temple. Do you remember that? Zeal for the, his father's house consumed him. That's what we're told. And then John 2, verse 18, we read this. So G, the, the Jews said to him, what sign do you show us for doing these things after he cleansed the temple? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. In three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple. Will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The point here is that Jesus is the truer and better temple. He's what everything in the Old Testament temple and about the Old Testament temple pointed to. It's all fulfilled in him. He is where heaven and earth meet. He is God come down. He is the center of our worship. He is he's the one that we come to for our sins to be forgiven. He is the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices. Jesus is the true and better temple. And as those who have been united with Christ through faith, Christ now lives where? He lives in us. 
That's a very common New Testament teaching. Christ is in you. And it's from that understanding that the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, do you, now know, do you not know that you are God's temple? You are. It's a, it's a plural you there, in case you're wondering. Now, God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. You are. We are. And so Jesus is the truer and better temple. Jesus lives in us, therefore we are the temple now in one sense. Peter says in 1 Peter 2 that we ourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. Paul says in Ephesians 2 that the whole structure being joined together, so all of us together, we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. What does it mean for us to build the temple then? It means for us to build the church which isn't a building. <laughs> we are the church. The, the church isn't a building. It's a, it's a people. You don't go to church. You are the church. And as the church, we gather to worship in a church building. <laughs> and so what that means for us to apply Haggai to us today is to give ourselves to the building of the church, the nurturing of the church, the strengthening of the church, the health of the church, the, even the multiplying of the church. And this isn't an optional thing. This is what we've been sent to do. To make disciples who make more disciples. To, to love one another and exhort one another and serve one another and bless one another. And rebuke one another. Confess your sins to one another. And encourage one another and submit to one another. These are all imperatives in the scriptures. Build one another up. Bear one another's burdens, not neglecting to, to meet with one another, being kind to one another, forgiving one another, comforting one another, living at peace with one another, not grumbling against one another. Praying for one another, showing hospitality to one another, having increasing love for one another, instructing one another, which would also imply receiving instruction from one another. Friends, the scriptures are chuck full of imperatives that all have to do with building the church, tending the church. We are all builders. What are you building? What you are building matters. And so ask yourself this morning, are you a committed member of the church? You know, have you said, I want to take responsibility for the culture of the church. I'm not a mere recipient. I am a contributor. How, how am I taking responsibility for the culture of the church, becoming a member? Do you actively pray for the church, for the flourishing of the church, the protection of the church from division and attack? And because talk about the church has been it's become so ambiguously popular. Let me restate that. Let me sharpen the pencil on those statements a little bit. Are you committed as a member of your church? Not the church in some ambiguous general way. Your church. Do you actively pray for your church? For the flourishing of your church? For the protection from division in your church? Are you using your gifts and skills to bless and build up your church? 
Like the Old Testament temple, it's a massive project. Everyone's gifts are needed. Are you giving generously to your church, not, with, not just with your finances, but with your finances, but also with your spiritual gifts and time and your energy? Are you serving in some way? Remember the all in Haggai 1.14, it takes all of us. I would love to not have to stand up on Sunday mornings and give, up oh, time to do the service announcements again. We need you to serve and all those sorts of things, right? This is a part of what it means to belong to God. It's a part of what it means to take him seriously, to take the church seriously and to build it. It's part of what he saved you for. Not simply so we can live happily ever after, me and Jesus style, but as a part of his body, his temple. And I hope that you hear, like, this isn't me, like, cajoling anyone into, like, behavior modification, right? I'm just the messenger. (laughs) And so there's there's an aspect here that you've got to deal with the Lord, not not me. I, I mean, I'm just the messenger. But we're all builders. What are you building? What you are building matters. The second thing that we see in Haggai is what God is building matters. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It says, In the seventh month of the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work. Work. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you, when you came out of Egypt, my spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations. So that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. One of the things that we see in the, the book of Haggai, is that God is the primary actor in this book. He's speaking. He's orchestrating. Okay, in, in Ezra chapter 1, the Lord is the one who stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, so they could return. In Haggai 1, he's stirring up the people. He's doing his work. Be strong, God speaks to them through Haggai. Be strong, be strong, be strong. It's repeated three times here. Work, he says, for I am with you. My covenant still holds. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. I will shake the nations. You know, I'm sure that they were like, how are we going to do this? Where are all the materials and stuff going to And he says, I will provide everything that you truly need. Treasures from the nations will come in. (laughs) And they did. Ezra 6 tells us of Darius the king of Persia providing and funding and resources to rebuild the temple. Who'd have saw that coming? Who could orchestrate that but God? (laughs) Silver is mine. The gold is mine. I will fill this house with glory. I will, God says. This would have been an incredible word of encouragement to these folks. It would have been an incredible word of encouragement to them. And 
and it's to be an incredible word of encouragement to us today. These scholars have pointed out that the 21st day of the seventh month, chapter 2, verse 1, it would have been the last day of the festival of booths, tabernacles. It was a celebration that looked back on God's past deliverance, his past provision, how he has cared for, how he has acted and led his people throughout history. It was a time then for them to look forward based on what God had done, on what God would yet do. Well, as God's people celebrated this year in 520 B.C., you, you can imagine that they looked around and perhaps were actually discouraged. They would have looked around, verse 3, and some who were old enough, who were probably really young before the exile, survived the exile and now have returned to Jerusalem in their older years. They look around and they see what appears to be a minuscule shadow of the former glory of the first temple. In fact, Ezra 3 records that many who had seen the first temple, they, they actually cried at this point. They, they wept when they saw the foundation being laid. It paled in comparison to their hopes, to their expectations. You can imagine, perhaps, that they, they may have even been tempted to give up. And it, it's here... and. It, and it's time, I think, that I want to I acknowledge an elephant in the room for us two pillars. It, maybe it's the elephant that's not in the room, actually. Um, prior to COVID, in February of 2020, we were in the strongest, healthiest place we've ever been as a church. Um, we, we had... Uh, recombined with Two Pillars Northeast, the church plant that we sent out about five years ago. And we really, we spent intentional time in the first year and a half or two years after that of, of just sort of growing healthier and stronger and sort of returning back and trying to get our place in a, in a spot, get ourselves in a spot where we could just function healthy and strongly as a church. We were rested. <laughs> we were renewed. Do you remember February 2020? Oh, wasn't it? It's was like, oh. That was, that was nice. Um, we had just transitioned to two services in February 2020 for the first time in the history of our church because one service was too full. We were positioning leaders to lead really well in various areas of the church. It was an exciting time, you know. A lot of incredible things that were happening. And then 2020 came, you know, the rest of it. And at this point, as a church today, we're probably two-thirds of the church that we used to be. Um, and... and you know, if you're watching on the live stream right now, that's not me talking to you, okay? Uh, that, that, if you're still joining us from the live stream, we, we love you. You're still part of this church. Uh, we long for the day that you'll return and gather with us here in person. I'm not talking to you. There's a handful of you we know that you're out there and we love you. Um, I'm talking instead about those who've left two pillars. Uh, we can talk about that. <laughs> we can talk about it. Uh, we've lost about a third of our members and attenders in the last 14 months. That's about 60 adults and kids combined. Um, some for good reasons. Some for not as good of reasons. And we can talk about it. We've had people get different jobs and move away, move closer to, you know, to be closer to family. If married or graduated, life has taken them somewhere else. Several others have left over theological differences. Some were political. Many have transitioned to other churches here in town. Some are not regularly worshiping as a part of a local body at all. 
And, and that's been hard. For lots of us in the room, like we, we miss them. These are our brothers and sisters that are f- friends, you know, and they're no longer coming to the family dinner. Feels weird. Feels wrong in some ways, right? And we've all experienced that in, in different ways. If you're newer around here, you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, you're just lucky, you know. God's spared you from that. Congratulations. We love you. And um, this isn't as hard for you, but we want you to know this is actually part of what's going on here, too. Um, some of you, because of all the stuff from the last 14 months, you feel a little out of place yourself or disoriented. Um, maybe, yourself, maybe you find yourself on the fence, and, if that, and you're like, well, I don't know. Are we going to stay? Are we going to go? If that's, look, please know that the elders would really, really love and appreciate an opportunity to meet with you and talk about whatever it is that you might be struggling with if you're on the fence and thinking about leaving or finding a different church or walking away from Jesus or whatever it might be. For others, you feel tired. (laughs) Even more than like normal 2020 hangover tired because you have pursued and maybe even continue to pursue some of these folks like a lot. And the the spiritual cost of that, the, 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 the emotional, relational cost of that is hard. For others, and especially first service, you know, like for others, some of you in here, you've picked up leadership and in, in, in service roles that were left in the wake of folks who've left the church. And so you're tired too. It's easy to look around here and maybe imagine if it weren't for COVID, we'd collapse back down to one service. Second service looks about the same as this. You know, you look like, oh, we probably fit them all in here, right? Um. Maybe even think or feel a little bit like the old generation in Haggai's day that what you see seems like a minuscule shadow of the former glory. And you miss it. You miss them. And you're sad. Maybe you're hurt or discouraged or pessimistic. You know, maybe a little more skeptical of church in general as you add a little bit more baggage into the pack of church baggage that you're already carrying with you. You might feel weak. You might feel weary. And what I want you to hear this morning is the word of encouragement that came from the Lord to the remnant of God's people through the prophet Haggai, where he told them, in a similar discouraged state, be strong. Be strong. Be strong. Work, for I am with you. I'm with you, declares the Lord. His spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. He will provide everything that is truly needed. He will fill his house with glory. What's the house, church? It's us. On the one hand, what you are building matters. On the other hand, at a deeper level even still, what God is building matters. 
And the two go together. That's a major theme for us here in Haggai. He works and we work. He stirs us up to the work and he works through our work. Which leads us to the third point. Why you are building matters. Okay, the, the, the reason you are building, your, your, your motivation in building the church, it matters. This is always the case with God. Not only does what you do matter, but why you do it matters. Which is why on the 24th day of the ninth month in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet again. Chapter 2, verse 11. Thus says the Lord of hosts, ask the priests about the law. Someone carries holy meat into the fold of his garment and touches with his fold bread or stew or wine or oil or any kind of food. Does it become holy? The priest answered and said, no. Then Haggai said, if someone who is unclean by contact with a dead body touches any of these, does it become unclean? The priest answered and said, it does become unclean. And then Haggai answered and said, so is it with this people. And with this nation before me, declares the Lord, and so with every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. Now, this is a very Old Testament prophetic and poetic way of saying you can't make something holy simply by bringing it into contact with something else that is holy. In other words, for them, just building the temple, just doing the work, right, the, the what, it doesn't make them holy. The, the why behind the what matters even more. See, building the temple, that, that was, that was going to be hard work, okay? It was lots of it. Um, but even more important underneath all the hard work that God has called his people to is the heart work that God has called his people to. Defilement can be passed by touching. That's the second half of the little law riddle here. That their failure to rebuild the temple had, it in a sense, defiled them before the Lord. And that defilement, Haggai is saying, is incredibly contagious. Their disinterest in building the temple would multiply, just as disinterest in building the church today is contagious and multiplies. First to your kids, as they grow up and follow your example, but, but also those around you as we sort of lower the, the collective bar of expectation for believers. They were defiled at the beginning of Haggai, and their defilement would not be removed simply by doing the hard work. They were also in need of heart work. See, going through the religious motions is never what supremely matters. The why underneath the what, the, the why that drives the what, the what still matters. God has told them, get to work, build the temple, do what I sent you to do. Okay, but doing the work isn't going to make them holy. No, God says why you are building matters. Why were they to build the temple? Why are we to build the church? What's our why? Well, turn back to chapter 1, verse 7, where we read, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Verse 8, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house. Build, like, do it. Build it, right? Why? so that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. <laughs> Why do we do what we do as Christians? First and foremost, it's to glorify God and to please him. N not in a way that we're trying to earn his favor, right? but he does take pleasure in our hard work for his kingdom. 
Right? On this side of the cross is those who have been united together with Jesus by trusting him, by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not your own doing. It's not your hard work that earns his favor or counts you holy. It was given to you as a gift. You didn't deserve it. You don't earn it. But in Christ you have received it. You've been counted holy. You've been counted right by the blood of Jesus. And now, on this side of receiving this gift of salvation, you serve him. You work hard in his kingdom, building his church. Not because some guy stands up here and tells you to. You do it instead out of a genuine Holy Spirit-fueled desire to glorify and please the one who has already poured out his gracious, undeserved, divine pleasure on you. And God blesses your hard work when it's motivated from the right place of hard work. Look back at chapter 2, verse 15. Now then consider from this day onward, before stone was placed upon stone in the temple of the Lord, how did you fare? How was it going? How was it working out for you? When one came to a heap of 20 measures, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw 50 measures, there were but 20. I struck you and all the products of your toil with blight and with mildew and with hail, yet you did not turn to me, declares the Lord. But consider from this day onward now. Remember, this is God's repentant people. Consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, since the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider, is the seed yet in the barn? This is God saying, you got anything else to plant? Because I'm going to make it grow. Indeed, the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have yielded nothing, but from this day on, I will bless you. I will bless the work of your hands. Why? Because God, through us, is working out his grand and glorious purpose and will. Which reminds us why God is building matters. The why underneath his what. See, at some point in reading through Haggai, and you know, even if you read through Ezra, you know, post-exile, you should be thinking a little bit. You ought to be thinking, God seems really interested in this temple. You know, he really wants this thing rebuilt. Why is that? Why is what God doing here so important? Why does it matter? Well, for one, remember, the temple was where he met with his people. Prior to Christ, it was the center of worship for, for Christ uh, or for, for God's people to worship him. Rebuilding it would, would indicate the people's love and devotion to him. But also it would communicate to the world around them, even after the Assyrians, <laughs> even after the Babylonians, and even in the midst of the Persians now and beyond, Yahweh is still here. He has not been toppled. He is still worthy of worship and praise. In fact, he alone is God. He alone is the sovereign one. He alone has been orchestrating all the events of history that have been going on up until this point anyway. The Lord of hosts is his name. And through the restored Jewish people, though they, though they may look small now, God is doing a great work. He is doing a work in their days that they would not believe if told. We get a glimpse of it in the last paragraph. The last oracle of Haggai, chapter 2, 
verse 20. The word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai in the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, saying. Now it's just, he's just speaking to Zerubbabel now. Before he'd spoken to Zerubbabel and the priests and the people. This one is just for Zerubbabel. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth and to overthrow the throne of kingdoms. I'm about to destroy the strength of the kingdoms of the nations and overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses and their riders shall go down, every one by the sword of his brother. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, O Zerubbabel, my servant, the son of Shealtiel, declares the Lord, and make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Now, a lot of stuff going on in there. That part about the signet ring is extremely significant. All the way back in 2 Samuel chapter 7, God had made a covenant to establish David's throne forever. Do you remember that? He made a promise that there would always be an heir to the throne here with God's people. And that was true in large part all the way down through the destruction and leading into exile of God's people all the way throughout the Old Testament, all the way down to King Jehoiakim, the second to last king in Judah prior to the exile. But it was Jehoiakim whom Jeremiah prophesied against in Jeremiah 22 announcing that God had rejected Jehoiakim and that he would cast him off as the signet ring. In other words... The dynasty's over. I'm casting off the ring, God says. That's what he said through Jeremiah. All their unfaithfulness, all their lack of repentance and ignoring the prophets, the messengers God kept sending and sending and sending, it mounted and mounted and mounted until God said, I'm casting off the ring. He raised up the Babylonians. They came and they attacked and they carried off God's people into exile. Judah, it had seemed, was done for. God's people, no longer a people, decimated. They don't exist. They're scattered around now. But now in Haggai, after the exile, we read that God's putting the ring back on. Zerubbabel, the small and insignificant, ruling in small and seemingly insignificant post-exile Jerusalem, through Zerubbabel, God was restoring his promise. In other words, what God is up to here is not merely the renewal of worship at the temple. He is also working for the restoration of David's throne. God is saying, I'm not done with you. I have not turned my back on you. Even in your faithlessness, I am faithful. I have restored you. And even though you be small and and obscure, I will work through you. And listen, he did. He did. First chapter of Matthew's gospel in the New Testament lists Zerubbabel in the line of kings leading to Jesus. And after the deportation to Babylon, we read Matthew chapter 1. After the deportation to Babylon. That's right now in in Haggai. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of who? Zerubbabel. 
And Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud, and Abiud, the father of Eliakim, and Eliakim, the father of Azor, and Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Eliud, and Eliud, the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar, the father of Matan, and Matan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ, the truer and better temple the center of our worship. Church, why God is building in Haggai, it matters. Post-exile, he was renewing his promises to his people. He calls them to finish rebuilding so that he might be with them and fulfill his promises made clear back to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 to bless the whole earth through them. A promise that is fulfilled with the coming of Christ. The truer and better temple. Who now resides in you and me as Christians. Making us the temple. His church. Through whom he works to bring blessing to all the nations. He even commanded us to do so. Go. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go build my church. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. For behold, I am with you until the end of the age. What you are building and why is to be in line with what God is building and why. We build the church we tend the church, we make disciples, we live out all the one another's of the gospel for his glory. And as one of your, passenger, one of your pastors, as, as a messenger to you this morning, man, I want to call us to this. You know, many of you, you're, you're doing this in so many ways. Keep on. I, listen, I know the, year and the last year and a half has been really, really hard. I know. I need this sermon as much as you do. Maybe more. I don't know. You know, preaching this to myself as much as I'm preaching to you today. Be strong. Work. Christ is with you and in you. His spirit is in your midst. Fear not. Fear not. For others, this is the call to you. This is... You know, for your what and your why to come more in line with with God's what and why. What might he be calling you to this morning? Maybe a little bit more engagement with those one another's of scripture. A little bit more engagement with your gospel community. Maybe God's stirring in you to become a leader of a gospel community. And to take even more responsibility for the building up of the church. Maybe he's calling you into something more. Maybe there's future elders in this room, future church planters in, in this room. Maybe that's crazy talk, you know. And, and what he has for you is to, to, to be here and create a hospital environment on Sunday mornings so that others as they come in here can be greeted not just with the truth of the gospel but the, with the experience of the gospel. What's he calling you to? Church, what God is building and why, it's glorious and we get to be a part of it. What you are building and why, it matters.
Let's pray. Father, we are thankful to be called your body. We are thankful to be called your church. We are thankful, God, that you have given us purpose. <laughs> you have, have given us um, the, the command to, to build your church. But there is work for us here to do. Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, which indwells in every believer, would you stir us today to the work of building your church? Would we do it not just out of hard work, but out of heart work, a heart that is resting in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf on the cross and freed from having to perform, free from having to do, to, to earn instead, free to serve to glorify you in your holy name. Thank you for Jesus, we pray in his name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.